Hi, welcome back to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, talks to all his beautiful creative friends. Today, I'm in my hometown of St. Petersburg, Florida, where my friend Drew from Satsang is cruising through a beautiful tour, and we sat down for a couple hours to have a really deep, awesome conversation. So I hope you all enjoy it. Between the women and a man, Chris Dyer and his creative friends, darling. Okay, cool. Thank you, Paulina. All right, well, we'll get, we'll get started. Hey, what's up, Drew? How are you so doing, man? man? So good to see you. Woo, thank you so much for having me out here in your uh, guest house yeah. in uh, Safety Harbor mm-hmm. in St. Pete, Florida. Uh, what are you doing around here? We played Reggae Rise Up um, last night. This is the end of the first week of spring tour. Um, so yeah, pretty fresh. How was that festival? Road. It was epic. It was a really busy day. Uh, like I said, I had we had our festival set um, and then had to set up for the after party and then I went and did Sugar Shack sessions and then had to go back to the venue for the after party. So it was a busy day, but it was cool. I did get to see some friends. It's a pretty big festival, huh? Huge. They said um, 18,000 people on Saturday and then wow. they were guessing around 15,000 the other days. Wow, that's crazy. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm like so stoked to live here and go to a festival that's happening like 15 minutes away from my house. That's yeah. like so nice with great performers. Do you do a lot of reggae festivals? Yeah, you know, especially Reggae Rise Up. Um, that crew, Live Nights Presents, I believe is the name of the company, but Vaughn, the owner of it, and his whole team, they've just always been huge supporters of what I do. And we, yeah, we're just homies. Um, so yeah, we play this last year, I think we've done two or three Reggae Rise Ups, and I, I, I hope to continue to do them. I love that crew so much. and. They do a really good job of, of bringing hip hop artists in and they, they kind of mix the palette up a little bit. You uh-huh. know? That's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you were busy, but did you get to catch any other performers? I got to see a little bit of an MC named Sarak, uh-huh. who is an absolute monster if you ever get the opportunity to see her. Um, yeah, nice. She was in white, right? Yep. She's in white. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah always Big wears dreads. a brimmed hat and dreads. Yeah, she's, she's yeah. pretty amazing. That's awesome. <coughs> uh, did you catch any of the murals? Yes, holy shit. Yeah, I'm amazing. Yeah, the Sugar Shack sessions um, were right next to the murals. Uh So I drove by them like three times. And the second time I was like, yo, can stop so I can actually check these out for a little bit. That Wiz Khalifa one was like. Right. I was like in shock. I was like, whoa, like are local artists like this good? But then I dug in and they brought people from Japan and L.A. and like all these legends. It's like, wow, I'm really impressed by the, the. visual art selection here yeah like i said i think the thing that vaughn and that whole crew does is it's not just about the music i think we're kind of seeing that across the board like play, things are starting to say music and arts festival instead of just like music festival right you know and really curating a space and experience for the arts 
which is cool. They go so hand in hand. It's like album artwork. It's like, you know, the relationship between visual artists and, and music artists. Is uh-huh. Yeah, totally. I almost feel like in uh, musical festivals, art's kind of like a secondary thing, but mm -hmm. really it could be as important. You know, you don't need like, you know, thousands of people looking at you painting, but thousands of people do walk by that mural and stop by and have a moment with it. So I And they had live painters at both stages too, which was cool. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. You had uh, um, Anya and Christopher Morphis, Anarfa Morphis uh, were live painting. Um, so this is part of a tour you're doing? Yep. Spring? Spring tour. Is it's for a new album? Yeah, I made an album. Fuck, when did we release it? The first leg of the first chunk of tour was when I saw you. Uh, was this fall. We did six weeks. Um, and then this, is, this will be the last three weeks of the tour for this album cycle. Um, but we've been everywhere. The album's called Followers. Flowers from, from the Fray. Uh, and what does that mean? Um, I was kind of in this, um, had a really crazy, I always have crazy winners, man, but I had a, I had a kind of a crazy winner, um, couldn't come to agreement with my record label and like things just seemingly kept going wrong, but it also kind of felt like it was all going wrong for a reason. So it felt like it was in the fray. And then in my head, I was like, well, these songs are the flowers that I'm gathering while I'm in the fray. What is a fray? It's the like the abyss of chaos and oh. you know yeah being out in the abyss so it's like on point with the shit that we're all in humanity and yeah. see what grows out of the manure yes yeah great exactly the lotus yeah. flower yes or mushrooms probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> comes from the mud and the dirt that we all have to like get out um so i want to get into your music so first satsang are you satsang or is the band satsang it's it's blurry I write all the songs um, and I put the band together, um, but I've been doing a lot of solo stuff, which feels really good. And I keep saying that it's like the band shows are really fun. It's like uh -huh. the most fun that I can have. Mm -hmm. um, but the solo shows are starting to feel really deep and meaningful and special, too. So, I mean, yeah, I own. You could be satisfying just by yourself. Yeah, I own everything. And um yeah, write all of the songs and have produced everything thus far. Um, but yeah, when we're touring, it's so yeah, I would say the band is. If we're touring, it's the band. But you know, when did you choose this name? Because from my understanding, Satsang is like what Hindu church. Yep, pretty much. And uh, I would say your music has Hindu vibes, but it's not Hindu music. Yeah. So. Well, I was in Nepal. I was on a backpacking trip in Nepal. Um, and like halfway through the trip was when I like decided like it's music That's what I'm gonna do when I get home Like that's the path that I'm gonna follow mm -hmm. And I'm going all in on it And then as I was like almost back to Kathmandu I started being like well, what am I gonna call this? What am I gonna call it? And um, I met this kid from the Netherlands at this like outdoor climbing gym in Kathmandu and he was like well, later, man, if uh, we're having satsang, if you want to come. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I didn't know what that meant, but he wrote down on a piece of paper satsang yeah. and then this address and gave it to me. And when I got back to my hotel in Kathmandu, the computer in the lobby, uh -huh. I Googled satsang and then it said, to gather with intention to assimilate the truth. And right. I was like, boom, yeah. that's the name. That's what we're going to call and it. And it's a cool sounding name. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I picked it on that trip to Nepal. It just stuck. And I was like, 
it just fits like that's really what I want the shows to be is you know not just playing music but for you know people from all walks of life to gather and kind of suss it out and talk and commune you know right like a spiritual gathering yeah you know focused around vibration in yeah your case. Um, and the music itself I'm like I was you know this morning like what 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 kind of music is it sats on like i know it's got some folk styles but the singing's kind of reggae-ish yeah and then you got a little little bluegrass tones but there's rock a little hip-hop too yeah i don't you gotta explain people what do you say i try not i always am just like i i don't even know what comes next you know like a lot of it i listen to so much music and i go through these phases where like you know, I have two months where I'm only listening to folk music and bluegrass and traditional music. And then like, um, you know, when I'm home and training, you know, like I had a fight this winter. So for months I was just listening to hip hop because I was training all of the time. Uh-huh. And that's what I like to listen to when I'm Gotta training. fire up the, the, the masculine. Yeah. And that beat, you know, and, um, and I'm a big fan of words. So hip hop is always kind of like a steady part of my diet. Cause I'm such a fan of words. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't ever, like, when I'm writing a song, I don't ever, like, go, okay, I'm going to write a reggae song, or I want it to be like this, but with, like, a little bit of world music, you know, like, the story of you had a lot of, like, Afro vibes, and I've never even really listened to Afro music, it just kind of, like, happened, and so, yeah, I just am, like, um, my tour manager, what he started saying last tour, and people were like, what kind of music is it? It's, like, uh, a singer-songwriter with a really good band, mm-hmm. so that's what we have been sticking with, but, yeah, I mean, I just all across the board i just love so many genres of music you know that's awesome me too I, I love mixtures and your music as the name is a mixture of cultures now from your point of view uh what's the difference between cultural appreciation and what some people would call cultural appropriation cool question um i think appropriation is is more when you're like i'm going to take this thing with the goal of using it to sell this Mm -hmm. where i think appreciation is i'm authentically creating something and i have no idea what brushes are touching this canvas you know Mm -hmm. these are all very um almost like a background of like yeah these things are subconsciously influencing me versus like okay well i want to start a reggae band so i need dreadlocks uh we all need to wear black gold and green Uh and you know like that's where it gets kind of fucky unless that's how you want to unless that's who you are yeah man like i've met um yeah i've met white dudes in reggae bands with dreads and shit like that that are so like mike love right that is the most he's very rasta as fuck you know and and now (laughs) he's not even like a super strict rasta but when you watch that dude play you're like okay dude whatever that other spiritual rasta realm is that's what you're pulling from you know that is not an act that is not like that's true rasta is a lividity whatever that is it's a vibration it's a oneness he is that transcends race which is the true essence of the oneness message yes of that path and really all paths yes let's go past our boundaries but we live in such a political climate where like white males are not supposed to touch other things because it's almost like robbing but it's like but i love reggae i had yeah. dreads for 21 right. years and sometimes people you're not supposed to have that's like but i love you know reggae. how about it's my hair 
and I'm going to wear my hair however I'd like, actually. Right. And because I'm a sentient human being, and this is how I want my hair to look. Yeah. This, this, <laughs> you know? this is my expression, and dreads surpass. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rasta culture. You can yeah. see it in Peru, etc. But say, uh, yeah, we go back to like, hey, you're uh, you're not supposed to do this. Like, here's some rules, and stay in your lane, stay in your box. And I get it to some degree when people are being disrespectful about grabbing cultures, but really, like, if it's out of love, let people express their love. Yeah, I agree. I think the intention is the thing behind it. So it's like, and authenticity, if your intention is literally like, I'm just being me, I'm not, I am not consciously taking anything to present it to make myself look like anything. I, this is who I am. You know what I mean? It's like, we could say the same thing about anything. We could say the same thing about tattoos. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, well, what tribe are you from that says you're allowed to mark up your skin? It's like, well, no, I am a sentient human being, and this is how I decorate my meat suit. So, uh -huh. <laughs> why not? Let's, yeah. let's erase the walls, and let's all become one. Yeah, and, and I think that's me. the thing that's really troubling about... Um, yeah, like your side, like that you said rules, these like rules of engagement and being a human. I think that's like the antithesis for growth, growth in unity. Because the more rules that we impose on each other and the more boxes that we put each other in, that leads to a really boring black and white world that resembles nothing that I want to be a part of. It's like, no, if we, if we start trying to police expression, like what does that do to art? What does that do to culture? What does right. that do to anything, you know? like. Uh -huh. Yeah, thank you for your reflections. I, yeah. I, I bring it up not because I, I want to support it, but because I really want to break it down so we can just be without fucking judgment. Yes. Enough of that shit. Um, so back to your music, I would say it's a lot about the lyrics. Yeah. And it's honest, it's vulnerable, it's sensitive. It's the kind of lyrics that would be more associated with the feminine. You know? Interesting, cool. Yeah. And you're like a, a badass masculine, <laughs> you know, you know, you're a fighter and everything, but you're talking about like, hey, I got wounds and uh, I'm traumatized. And it, it almost like back to the boxes, me growing up in Latin America, you're not supposed to be a man that's sensitive and fragile or, 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 or is honest about the yeah. fragility. And you do it. Yeah. In a nice, balanced way. Thank you. Please tell me about your journey to be, to what you're doing. I'm in, I'm just in kind of a never-ending quest to understand myself. And I think if we, if we pick one way that says, okay, well, I am a fighter and, you know, and I'm a stoic. So this is, again, this is the box that I'm going to put myself in. It's like you're denying the possibility of so much growth and understanding so like for me it's all kind of one thing like um, I always I always reference like a samurai culture so for like someone to get to, for someone to be taught how to use their sword they also had to pick um, scribe or painting they had to pick some soft art mm -hmm. to balance learning how to use their sword and I've always thought that that was a really cool kind of analogy where it's like I think there's a huge superpower in, in being vulnerable because otherwise your masculinity is is built on pebbles it's not a strong foundation it's mm. like um, I'm not 
in a rigorous defense of my masculinity. I know it's there. I test it all of the time. But I also am a human creature that's gone through heavy shit, that feels heavy things, that cries, that, like, you know, it's just... That's true confidence to me. Like, true, yes. true strength and confidence is to allow yourself to be, quote-unquote, weak and vulnerable and sad and depressed and all the range of human emotions. Yeah. And that's important in music because so many people feel that way, but it's not reflected in, in modern culture, at least. Yeah. So, uh, you know, music like your own, which is, once again, like some people call it, what, uh, medicine music? Yeah, yeah. Because there's healing in it. Find yeah. Find self-expression. And I think I, I feel like a strong responsibility of, like, of wanting to be an example, you know, that, like, you can be all of these things. And it's really cool. And what happens when you, you know, lean in, to being masculine and all that, but also keep that softness, man. Watch what happens to your relationship, particularly with your partner. <laughs> when you know how to be vulnerable and soft and open, you know, it's like I see so many relationships that, that hit walls or fail and split because this pride thing says like, nope, I'm not opening. I won't do it. Like I'm standing my ground. It's like, no man, open up and see what happens, you know? Mm -hmm like will crack you wide open so I kind of at this point also it's not something I'm mindfully doing but I'm aware that it exists and I'm like trying to be an example of like yeah let's just be all of the things it's all important to do you, you ever have a hard time being vulnerable in front of a large audience is be like oh, today I don't feel like putting my heart out there for where I feel absurd yeah um sometimes before like yeah there's days where I don't feel like playing never fails takes like 15 seconds into the first song i'm like oh yeah ah. i'm like fully here for it you know okay, yeah nice. yeah nice. last night at the after party i was like um we got done it was my third set of the day and i was like we're not doing an encore tonight and then everyone one more song uh. and the boys are looking at me like dude it'd be a pretty dick move to just get at leave and go get on the bus right now uh-huh I always wondered. I always wondered, yeah. like, no, they always got this plan. Of yeah. course, they're going to come and do an encore. Yeah, usually it is planned. But last night I was like, I'm done singing I for the so. day. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and then we went out, and I was like, well, what are we going to do? And uh, Stefan was like, I am. We didn't play I am. Uh -huh. And we went out, and there was... Um, Which is one of your most popular songs. It is our most popular song, yeah. Uh -huh. So we went out, and I started playing it. And there was, like, you know, there was probably 500 people there last night. But there was like 10 people that I could see with the stage lighting that were fucking just bawling. Wow. And I immediately was like, how dare you, bro? How dare you deny them of this, you know? Like, uh -huh. you were going to go get on the bus and what? Like, watch jujitsu videos on your phone? You know, like, get how, the fuck out here. How do you deal with an audience that cries by your own self-expression? Like, I, I'm sure there's gratitude and self-appreciation, uh, self like, oh, wow, I did that. But also you can't let the ego get like, ooh, I'm so cool. I'm making people cry. And also like, damn, my role is bigger than I think, and I better fucking be on point. Like, it's, it's yeah. a pressure, too. It is. So I had this really beautiful moment. So my, uh, my wife's uncle, so my uncle-in-law, um, super deep cat. Um, studied Buddhism for many years. Anyway, he was living in Seattle and we had this sold out show in Seattle and it was the last show of tour. So I was like, I'm going to go hang out by the merch booth. It's the last night of tour. I'm going to meet anyone that wants to meet me. 
so there's this big line of people taking pictures and there's always people that share like super crazy stories but I kind of see him and he works his way up and he gives me a hug and he said hey I'll call you next week and then as we were separating he grabbed my hands and he said the healing is real the adoration is not these people don't know you mm-hmm. right and then bounced mm. and I was like boom so that's always my mantra mm. the healing the crying that's real that's happening in real time but any sort of ego feeding like adoration none of those people actually know me right I never understand the depths that is me mm-hmm. so so both the hatred and the love yes have to be put aside and you can appreciate the the, the love and even the hate you gotta be like well you don't you know don't me, know me so you can't can't cut you so deep yeah the hate's a harder one yeah. um because <laughs> you're like you know i think it's in our nature to be like why don't you like me i'm yeah. actually a pretty good dude yeah. you know but i um you know another mantra of mine that i come back is um that don't take advice from anyone that isn't where you'd want to be and don't take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice from mm. So, like, if I don't know somebody, you know, your criticism means nothing to me. Maybe if... Maybe it's all technicalities, like yeah. musical stuff. Like, oh, he didn't tune his guitar. Yeah, right, right, you right. You like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. perhaps I, you were right. Yeah, yeah. But not on the essence of your soul or your intentions no. or your vibration. No, like, I think the only thing musically that would be heartbreaking is if, like... Yeah, if, like, Trevor was like, yeah, man, I really didn't dig your last record. I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Because Fuck, he's a man. Yeah, himself. because he's so good and I respect him and his music so much. And we're friends, you know, I just like, oh, shit, you know, but um, yeah. It's There's the, not a lot of masters out there. No. And and for me, the creative, you know, creating art is so subjective. It's like you're one of the most amazing visual artists alive and it's like I'm sure there's people that don't like your shit they're like yeah it's whatever and it's like yeah well let's see you know it's different flavors for different exactly. people exactly like hey yeah. I don't like every ice cream flavor yeah you I know, don't I don't right. understand the like painting of a blue square that's worth four million dollars but for somebody that's you know that's, <laughs> that's their that shit the, that's the mecca know, the of art pics of art yeah <laughs> how is uh, being friends with Trevor Hall it's good you know it's hard for us to always be close like it is with all my musician friends, you know, like Nathan from Ayotair, the lead singer of Ayotair, him and I are really tight. Him and I do a really good job of keeping in touch. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Trev and I, over the years, it's, you know, he has a baby, and um, but he's always been a really good rock for me. And if I ever want to be in touch, he's always, he's always there. Um, yeah, it's really inspiring, you know, to to know someone personally, and then when they put out art, like, I forget, like, here's a cool story for, about Trev, you know, like, he's such a bro. I mean, yes, I'm like, yeah, his music's amazing, um, but he's just a homie first, you know. But right. Reggae Rise Up in Vegas this fall, I hung back and watched his set, and I watched him leave his body during the set. Like, I watched the most, and I was standing on the side of the stage, like, watching him swirl around with his guitar and then he just like fell to his knees and I just started crying like I love this for you so much Mm. like I love that this is happening for you right now yeah he's on the Cali path huh yeah so he is a pretty legit um not pretty legit yeah he is a bomber Baba Ramdas or uh Neem Karoli Baba devotee like that's real that's actually it's not a it's not an appropriation it's not a gimmick that is actually his life that is his path that is you know, from the chanting to like, mm-hmm. he's about it. He, it's right. his shit. Yeah, and and that's the the Cali path. 
I'm I not know, sure. I, I know he's down with, with Kali Ma, yeah. which is the goddess of destruction and death. Yeah. So that's like a, 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 a tricky path to take on because you're calling in constant self-destruction in order to been, be recreated. He's been through the, it. Yeah, and I think I actually had to check myself on that. You know, my, my, my best friend Brady runs um, Go Fast, Don't Die, which is like a motorcycle lifestyle brand that's really based in stoicism, you know, and like memento mori and this idea of like, you are going to die. So like, what till then, you uh -huh. know, and keeping that idea of your mortality at the forefront of your consciousness. So you're moving through life with this, like this ends. So, uh -huh. so what do you want to do while you're here? You know, in this amazing virtual reality, you know, what do you want to create while you're here? And, um, I was getting like deep into it. Like anytime I was on my motorcycle, I had my memento mori coin in the pocket and, mm. Um, yeah, a, a friend of mine. It can really help you like appreciate each and every day. Cause totally. Because you fail a lie. Yes. You didn't crash on your motorcycle. Exactly. Yeah, if that but my friend brought in like, you better be careful carrying that fucking coin around all the time, homie. Like, you're talking about death an awful lot, man. Which is like, that's a good thing to meditate on. But, you know, I feel like T Tupac and Biggie, like those are prime examples. Like right. they were both talking about that ready shit. All of ready to die. They were like talking about it all the time. It's like, well, be careful what you're fucking putting out there, dude. But if you can learn to to die while living you are at least one step closer to liberation and death is not a bad thing right you know and i think to me that's always the important of, of plant medicines right i think that's why ayahuasca is so powerful for people is because they have these deaths of like you know when i drank the first night i was like when it was coming i was struggling so hard and in this fetal position i was certain like yeah bro you're dying mm. and um my friend whispered in my ear like every storm runs out of rain and i was like well like i guess if i'm gonna die like how do i want to die do i want to die in the fetal position like a little bitch or do i want to like die, die like a gangster yeah. you know so i like splayed myself out and was just like let's roll then like that's what we're doing okay yeah. let's die then and the minute that I just rolled onto my back and was like this, everything was just like, thank you. Now we can show you the, now we can show you the good shit. You surrendered. Like, you surrendered. Yeah. You're not trying to fight me. Right. And now let's start this actual journey. That's so, that's so beautiful and tricky at the medicine because I've had moments like that where I was just like, oh, I, don't <laughs> I wish there was an eject button. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like. Okay, I got a fear about this. I accept that I suck, and then brr, I throw up. It's like. Oh. Talk. Yeah, it's so weird. And I feel like really these plant medicine journeys are just a metaphor for life where it's like as soon as you accept the bad and the icky and your insecurities and you just say, OK, like, yes, I am. In, again, that vulnerability piece. Yes, I am insecure about that. Mm -hmm. Yes, this does hurt me. Yes, this does make me sad. It's like, well, shit will start to get pretty beautiful when you just acknowledge what you're actually yeah. Just own feeling it. and own it yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a perfect human being yes this is what was meant to be and yep. i don't have to uh throw shit on myself on top of it for yes. not being some perfection that doesn't exist yeah and it's for me i always just kind of leave the reason that psychedelics have always been kind of crucial for me and i use them so sporadic excuse me so sporadically now that it's like i usually get enough notes mm -hmm. to last a while right you know of like oh am i doing that thing again 
you know, the thing that almost fucking felt like it was going to surround me with vines and pull me into the ground last time. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I don't want to do that because when I circle back next time, it'd be cool if those vines didn't grab me. So, like, I'm going to make a mindful effort to not give into this weakness that haunts me. You and know? you're talking about how you're acting on sober life. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because that's where the true work is. Done. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, whatever. I feel like psychedelics are just a mirror and it just takes away all of the things and just holds up a mirror for you. So like mm -hmm. Greg always says, like, ayahuasca isn't going to give you a good or bad experience. It's going to give you the experience you need. And I think if you're doing it right, you know, you should have plenty to sift through and be working on. Like you should have a pretty solid stack of notes when that, after that mirror's held up to you of like, okay, well, this is really fucking me up right now. Mm. And I'd like it to not fuck me up again. Do, does the medicine come out for your lyrics or the things that the medicine teaches you? Like, have you ever done a song to big up Mother Ayahuasca mm. in a subtle way or? Um, I, I'm trying to think of a song. Yeah, I throw little, little things in there from psychedelic journeys. Um, I know what you would know other than you. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, lyrics are so weird for me, man, because like when I write, I'm never like working on a song. It happens like, and if it doesn't happen like that, then I abandon it and I'm like, So you're stop. channeling. Yeah, that's what I, I guess, yes. What and who are you channeling? I don't know. I don't like know. your higher self? the most high, the spirits that you're calling through, your guides? I think it's got to be amalgamation of all of them. Because when I write, like I said, dude, it happens so fast. I, can't, I don't have a single song that was like, okay, I write this here, and then I'll work on this later. It's like, no, I find something on the guitar, and then it just like comes. Huh. And wow. It happens just like that. And if it doesn't happen like that, then I... So it's not like, oh, I want to do... Uh song about how I get very hot on Sundays. Yeah, and no. It's like, what lyrics would fit to us? It's more yeah. like you're taking dictation from your inner voice. Yeah. Yeah, very rarely, like, I might write something really fast and then kind of edit it be like, oh, I'm going to change this word and this word. Mm -hmm. You know, like, when I'm playing it, be like, oh, this word would fit a little better. So but it's almost like you got no, uh, I'm sure you got some choice, but you got less uh, control over yeah. what comes through. Yeah, I have no idea. That's why I say, you know, when someone's like, oh, are you working on music? I'm like, always. They're like, well, what's it going to be like? I'm like, I don't know yet, uh -huh. you know? The big struggle for me is always, or was for me, now I've like completely abandoned trying to control it, is like having an album that's like, well, there's like five genres of music on this album, you know? And being like, well, who's going to fuck with this? Because one thing like for us, like when we're on tour, if we say have 304 pre-sold tickets, we're probably gonna do like 310 people. Because like we were talking about earlier, like when someone's like, oh, I'm going to a show tonight. It's like, well, what kind of music is it? They're like, uh, all of it. You uh -huh. know, I don't know where it's like, if you're a bluegrass band or a reggae band, someone can say, I'm going to a reggae concert. Right. Someone goes, I like reggae, I'll yeah. come, you know? Right. But I've had conversations with friends of mine in reggae bands that are like, I would trade lives with, that are killing it, you know, that are right. selling way more tickets than me, that are uh -huh. like, I'm so envious of you because you've set up a thing. You could do whatever the fuck you want to do. If I do anything but reggae, right. people are going to be like, what the fuck yeah. are you trying to do? Their boxes and their walls are too uh, thick. Yep. And they don't dare to break it because they could break it too. They could yep. be like, hey, sorry, next album. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I'm doing. And I'm, if it doesn't vibe, sorry, but yeah. I, I got to express myself as an artist. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, that's great that you're uh, allowed. You're allowed to do anything, but like you can allow yourself to do that. What about political uh, subject matters in your songs? I know like there's the song Speak Up that you did with Wookie Foot, uh, but in general, even though I'm sure you got points of views about the world, you don't feel like expressing that, or that's probably not what comes for you. Early on, it was like a really heavy thing for me. Okay. I wrote a lot of like pretty political shit early on. And then this album Culture that I made in 2018, uh, it was right after Trump was elected. Uh-huh. So I don't remember what year we made it. Um, but um, Culture was kind of my political album. I was like, yeah, if you listen to that album, especially the intro track, Will Stand, like mm-hmm. I got super political and was just like, I made it for me, really, to be like, I was just thinking of my kids as adults being like, man, what was that like? What was that like? You know, what were Uh your thoughts on all of that? And being able to just be like, boom. And what were you doing to bring a better world for me? Yeah. What were you talking in that album? What's the subject matters? What do you speak up about? Yeah, it was a crazy time, right? Because Trump was elected. Standing Rock was happening. yeah, it just seemed like there was a fucking oil spill every week, like, um, the political unrest, and, and really it was just this, like, level of uncertainty with everyone, you know, that was kind of based on this, um, like the Republican side, as it were, was like, well, what the fuck are these guys gonna do? Right. You know, and then we saw 2020, where that ball fucking crashed all the way to the left, and then I was like, it was too much to... It was too much. I was like, I can't touch this. Like when COVID was happening and BLM was happening, everything's so sensitive. Everything was so fucked. And I have friends of mine, you know, a friend of mine who is a person of color that was right there in the middle of that shit. His sneaker store was looted five times. Oh no. And they raised all of this money and they didn't give him a penny of it. What? Yeah. And then I Who raised the money? BLM. Okay. And in Minneapolis. Didn't... They didn't he didn't get a fucking penny. They kept it. They gave a bunch of money to sex workers. The woman that owns BLM owns like a $4 million house in California. Uh-huh. So it was like. Because the organization in itself, it's some sketchy Corrupt thing. as fuck, yeah. And, and then also, you know, in Seattle, I had been asked to come play this private show. So I went to Seattle. I hadn't seen my manager in like seven months. So I was like, dude, I'm going to rent us a condo downtown. Like I was being paid very well to go do this private thing. And I get a, a message from the Airbnb host. It's like, hey, you know, just so you know, this place is right in the middle of the chop. So I don't know if you're comfortable still staying here. If you're not, I'll give you a full refund. And I was like, I'm me, man. I'm like, throw me right in the middle of that motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, Let me yeah. see it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but what I saw was very, I, cause prior to that trip, I was fully on the team. Like, yeah, man, burn this motherfucker down. Right. Like, fuck these motherfuckers, uh-huh. you know? And as a skateboarder and activist and graffiti artist, rebel by nature, yeah. I've, I was always like, fuck the police, man. Right. And then I got there and the BLM camp in the chop was 99% white kids. And every night I would sit on this balcony and watch them go out and just destroy shit. Huh. It was not like, we're gonna get this bank. We're gonna like disrupt the system. It was we're gonna fuck up this local business and break all their windows huh. and destroy the inside of the, and I watched it with my eyes. 
it, what's, what's the intention with that? Chaos. It's anarchy, dude. It's not, there's no activism about it. It was fucking. Is that Antifa? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. They were all wearing the black and the whole nine, but it was all white kids. And I was like, you're doing this to help black folks Destroying who are seeking lives? justice and fair treatment by the police. Like, and then what was a really powerful thing was the last morning I was there, I went for a walk around the neighborhood and I'm watching people sweep up glass and there was a black cop that was standing in front of um, this coffee shop that had its windows broken out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, bro, this is an interesting line for you to walk. Like, how do you feel about this shit? He's like, dude, I've had more racial slurs yelled at me in the last six weeks of my life than I have in my entire life. Wow. People, white people, telling me what I am. Oh, because he's a cop. I'm a traitor, I'm this. Oh, like, no. I'm a man with a job providing for my family. Trying to Trying help to make my life better and help society. Yeah, so it was like, that trip just blew my hair back and I was like, okay, I'm against extremism of any kind. Uh -huh. Any kind. I don't give a fuck what the cause is. The answer is not throwing rocks. It is not setting shit on fire. It not is not hurting. stealing sneakers from my homie's shop. You fucked up my boy's family, actually, when you looted his store five times. Mm. You know what I mean? You're not... Show me how that helped. Right. Because what you really did was fuck up my dude's life and income <laughs> five times. You know, you did not help anybody by doing that. Right. And previously, yeah, like I said, growing up, I would have been so like, yeah, man, Molotov cocktails, fuck the system, let's break everything. And it's like, no, these are human beings that work their ass off to start these businesses. And you're destroying them in the name of whatever, whatever the thing is that's going to give me an excuse an to justify ideal. my actions. Yeah. You know, and it's that mob mentality, too, that's just like, oh, we're breaking shit. OK, I guess we're breaking shit then. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was weird for me. So when 2020 hit to round it back to your, your original question, like I was like, I'm done touching politics. I'm focused on my centeredness, and my spirituality and my family and my heart. Because I cannot control whatever the fuck this wildfire is. I can right. control me and my reaction to and it. And it's confusing and it's divisive. Yes. You know, like, even if you say, you, let's say it's about teams. It's not about teams. Let's say you switch teams or sides or perspectives. You know, you know what? Things have changed. Now this is how I feel. Then you'll have the other half mm -hmm. people hating on you. And how does that bring in healing? None. You know? So then you go back to spirit and spirituality and, and healing as an individual, that's where we can do the most work. I agree. I agree. And then, yeah, just setting an example of like, yeah, I don't want to be the guy or encourage people to be the guy or girl that gets angry and their answer to getting angry is to throw rocks at something. It's like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I think it's like self-mastery and learning like, okay, how can I move through this without overreacting or ending up in jail, you know? Like, how can I fucking move through this in a good, beautiful way that I'm taking notes the whole time and at the end of my life, I become a good person, <laughs> you know? How can we love all, mm -hmm. regardless of their opinions and perspectives that might not align with ours? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I look back, you know, I remember talking to my father-in-law who graduated high school in 1969. And I was like, was it this bad in the 60s? He's like. I mean, yeah, we thought society was about to collapse for sure, you uh -huh. know. But when you look at the demonstrations in the 60s, the flowers and the guns, it was this very like the nonviolence movement. It was like, mm -hmm. no, you can do whatever the fuck you want to us because how do you make someone look like a psychopath? You put a flower in their gun and then let them kick the shit out of you. 
right. and then you're like, who's the crazy one here? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like you want to show how fucked and corrupt the system is. You don't have to do much. You just let it be the system that it is. Mm-hmm. It will show itself to be fucked up and corrupt because that's what right. it is. We always want to be peaceful and good and loving, even when we are political. Yeah. I don't paint politics into my art uh, because with politics, you're taking a side, you're going to another side, and I don't want to go against anybody. But in the last couple years, I was had to make a choice, the vax, and that put me on a category that pushed me away. And oh, I, yeah. And I had to jump countries to like find a place where nobody would be you know difficult on me and i felt like doing paintings to express this like you know like why are we you know like why does this um concentrated power want to like double down on uh control of their people but uh, at the time where it would be more relevant i felt like you know it would have been difficult. That's why my podcast is more like a, a way we can talk about it without really, you know, seeing like you're attacking anybody yeah. with a song or a painting. Yeah, I think the thing that was so inter- that's so interesting that's happened and it's it's wild and it seems like more people are waking up to it, but it's like if you can get everybody, meaning citizens, if you can get all of your citizens at war with each other, they're not going to be paying attention to shit that you were doing, whether you were starting wars, who you're giving money to. So it was a really interesting thing because, yeah, I was on the same team, right? So we watched this thing happen where it said, I'm not sure I want to get a vaccine that skipped a bunch of trials and shit. Uh Oh, well, then that means you're a transphobic, conservative, racist, racist, misogynist. I was like, no, I actually just don't want to get the vaccine is actually what that means. Can we have like some years to observe this new technology and see what it does? Because all new technologies have. Yeah. Well, and what was a really (laughs) tricky thing. So we went on tour before anyone else. So a lot of the venues had these requirements, and at the time I couldn't say, I've never said this publicly, we all had fake vaccine cards so we could go on that tour. I wanted to go play fucking music. Right. And all my boys needed to get back to work. Uh-huh. So we did that tour in 2022, fall of 2022. So some of the venues in California and wherever in these more liberal cities had these. Yeah, I think. Or, 20, or 2020, 21? 21 maybe. We went out before anybody, bro. We were right. selling so many tickets because nobody was on tour. Right. And, um, <laughs> good, good strategy. But I was getting <laughs> reamed all day, every day on the internet from people that uh, didn't want to get the vaccine. And we're like, how could you support a venue right. that's doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not supporting the venue. I have fucking seven employees that need to go back to work. And right. none of us got vaccinated. Right. We all got fake cards. Like, yeah. and I wanted- But you couldn't say that online. No, and that was the thing was my manager was like, I had put up a story saying like, yo, it's not that hard. Like the same, I had said, I think I, all I said was, the guy that will be checking your vaccine card is the same guy that's gonna be looking at your ID. Uh-huh. It's, there's not some government scam computer right. there or something like that. I just said that, like, mm. I'm just saying. In the States, it was easier. In Canada, to get into your restaurant, you need to show the app. Oh, you had to have an app. Yeah. Whoa, okay, so that it wasn't that way down here. So I just kept kind of hinting at, like, yo, I- Here you show a picture of something, like, they don't even read the, the name yeah. of the thing. It's like, okay, like, okay, okay yeah. Like, I don't care. Yeah, know? we all got on a cruise, you know? <laughs> but, like, um, I think the other thing that was wild was the lack of empathy from those people too, where it's like these venues are hanging on by a fucking thread. The mm. fact that after COVID, there's even 
that these small clubs even still exist, you know, and you're being like, fuck you guys, blah, blah. It's like, mm. they're not making those rules either. It's the yeah, county yeah. or the fucking state or the city. So it's like, you got to pick a better enemy. Like, it's not this music venue. It's mm -hmm. not the bands that are going to play the music. Like, we're not supporting any of this. This venue is probably this close to death. Mm -hmm. And if they don't start doing shows again, they will disappear. Right. And a that's another mom and pop and it's then the corporations take exactly. over exactly <laughs> so it's like if you want all of these venues to die and Ticketmaster to come in and snatch them all up then cool we can run that too but it's mm -hmm. like there was just not a lot of critical thinking it was like you're either on this team or this team and then the fights that would happen in the comments between like you're not getting vaccinated you're killing grandmas it's like all you right. guys just fucking either come to the show or don't yeah either way shut the fuck up it like either I'll see tough. you there or I won't yeah, I'm happy that those fights are chilling out. Yeah. I would hope that... Well, the dad is in now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were right. Like, hey, that thing didn't even work. And everybody got pressured to getting something that might have all these heart issues now. Yeah. Like, great. You know, yep. like, oh, you trust the corporations? Really? Yeah, and I remember <laughs> saying, too, it was just like, you're asking me to trust the United States government and the pharmaceutical industry. Right. Have they a don't. Record. They, I was gonna say they don't have the best track record of honesty and transparency. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wild fucking times, man. Well, now you're back on tour. The world yes. is still crazy, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to even have these conversations without a million rocks falling on us. Yeah. How is being on tour? Like, how long is this current tour you're on? This one is only three weeks. Okay. Um, so this is a short one, which is great, man. That six weeks this fall, that was that was a lot. Um, yeah. How is it to be in a bus with four other, four or five, five other dudes? Yeah, guys. Six other dudes. Uh-huh. Um, it's all right. I mean, the, the the tricky thing with the bus is that you have these individuals with very different habits. I am... Uh, I like my space clean. My Like, for, for this to work, my space has to be clean and right. organized. And I would never wear shoes inside my house because um, I roll around on the floor a lot. You know, I stretch on the floor a lot. So it's 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 all right. Um, yeah. What is cool with the bus is there is no alone time that I've found as good as being in a bus bunk. Like when you crawl in that bunk and close that curtain, uh -huh. it's it's like a, almost like a sensory deprivation tank. You're just like, I am in my bubble. Uh -huh. You put your headphones in. It's like the world is gone. Okay. So that's really dope. So you do get your alone time. Yes. Is there like any technique for reaching harmony in such a tricky environment? Like everybody could be nice, but still, yeah. we all got good days and bad days. Yeah, no, I think the big thing, like uh, our tour manager was just w talking about this yesterday, of like, let's just not take things personally. We haven't toured in like four months or whatever, and now we're all in this fucking sardine can together. So like, yeah, everyone, and sometimes you sleep well, sometimes you don't sleep well. Everyone's hungry at different times, so like, the more you can kind of give everybody grace of like, and you know, that it's the first week of tour, everyone's kind of getting their, mm -hmm. their legs under them again. Right, it's, it's tough to go out there and perform, uh, as we spoke before, the musician is a performance. You can't just show up there and play your CD and sit in the back and yeah. be like, I hope they like my music. You have to play it, you have to be there, you have to face them, yep. as, as opposed to like a live painter that's giving its back and I can take breaks whenever I'm getting overstimulated and yeah. stuff. And sometimes, it, you know, you just spent months by yourself and all of a sudden you're throwing yourself back in there like, here I am. Yeah. Like the level of vulnerability must be kind of intense. 
The adjustment's always weird because when I'm home, I have such a private life. I hang out with, you know, uh, my wife and my son, and then when I go do jujitsu with my with my homies. Um, I don't really hang out with anybody when I'm home outside of that. Okay. So you don't have any friends? Well, the friends that I train with. Okay. But it's like, um, yeah, man, I don't go out. I don't. Yeah, I like being home. You know, right. so yeah, it's definitely a, an adjustment to get back into the world and in front of a bunch. Yeah, the first show was really weird on this tour of just like, oh yeah, I forgot that this is what I do and this is what makes my whole life actually my life. You know, like this is why I have a house to go back to. This is why like everything is the way it is. Right. Um, but I feel like yesterday, I feel like the festival set like fully shook the dust off and was just uh -huh. like yeah bro i have the coolest job in the world because you know? when you receive because you're giving energy but then you're receiving so much energy yes. it must really charge you up and it you're does. like fuck yeah this has meaning has purpose it's really shaking up a lot of good in people yeah you know? and the festival too you know club shows are cool because it's like this cool kind of container for the energy but like yesterday it's still like i'm still so in awe of I kind of do this dice roll, you know, when we do the last chorus of I Am, I always like stick the mic out. Uh -huh. And yesterday there was like seven, 10,000 people watching our set. And I was like, okay, let's fucking see. Uh -huh. And people killed it. Loud as fuck. Yeah. And then on the, um, on the bus ride to the venue, I was just like, geographically in the United States, I couldn't be much farther from home than I am right now. I think Miami is probably the farthest I could get from home. Because you live in Montana. Yeah. And I was like, bro, like in eight years, you music fucking made it down here, bro. Uh -huh. You know, and it's like to think of this thing growing while I'm sitting at home hibernating and doing me. It's like it makes me w kind of want to go out and be like, yeah, I need to go check in with these communities and see how we're doing. Right. You know, you can't just do it online all the time. Mm -mm. Do you think there will be a time in your life? when you're less young that you just might not feel like touring and stuff and what happens then in a world where record sales are impossible to make or you know it's tough to make money from the music like back in the day now it's like it has to be a performance as a muralist i'm like do i want to be painting murals in my 50s in my 60s like at one point this i'm gonna be like enough i just want to stay home and paint the canvas how does it feel like a musician? Like, will there be a time where I'm like, I cannot get on stage? Or will you be like Mick Jagger jumping? Bob Weir, yeah. <laughs> um, it's weird, I go back and forth. You know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, man, I'm gonna be Bob Weir. I'm gonna be uh -huh. 70 some years old and still doing this and loving every minute of it. But I don't think that's realistic. I, I actually do really well. I own all of my music. I own the rights to all my music that I've written. So I actually uh -huh. do pretty well from streaming. Okay, nice. Um, the touring thing though it's like that's the that's the heart of really what this is you know the the show is the magic thing like the music lives with people in their car and their headphones and but live is the like that's the ceremony the now yeah that's the ceremony so i don't know i think i think i would definitely get to a place where like i look at jack johnson uh-huh that is a huge goal you know where he's like does like 20 shows a year where it's like it's I do these big, so yeah I do these five festivals and then you know what let's do a three-week tour 
once a year. You know, that looks attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I like touring, man. Um, I love I love it and I hate it. It's like such a weird thing. But the show is just such a like. The boys always joke that it's like this is what it must be like to be like a junkie, where you like spend your whole day like sick and like fuck. I gotta get off this shit, man. This is fucking terrible. <laughs> and then you like get your fix and you're like, never mind. I love heroin, dude. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> you know, like. Um, so yeah, it's hard, but it's um. It's, it's what we do, and I think it's what we're built to do. Trev always says that, like, we're gypsies by nature, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in this field, like, this is it. This is the work, you know? Mm. So, yeah, to answer your question, I, the dream life for me would be in the next 15 years or so to move to one tour a year and spend most of my time coaching fighters. I really love coaching, mm. um, especially young guys, you know? I just love mentoring and coaching, so... Um, yeah, yeah, I'll always do it as long as I'm physically able, but definitely we'll tone, tone, it, down tone it down a bit. Yeah. You were recently in Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. How long ago? Um, well, we're going there. We actually, the first show of this tour was in Ohio mm-hmm. and then we have another one in Cleveland. How um, was it looking out there after the East Palestine spill? It looked fine. And I was asking everyone questions like, you got any headaches or, uh-huh. um, I couldn't even dive into that, man. Like, just some of the shit I was reading, I was just like, are you shitting me? Uh-huh. And the biggest thing I noticed was, like, it seemed like the president maybe should have showed up and been like, hey, we're going to help. This is super fucked up. Right. Um, Did he even talk about it at all? Not really. Uh. And it was like, you know, my half of his campaign was, like, all this environmental shit he was right. going to do. It was like, well, it was a pretty huge environmental issue. Like, actually yeah. the biggest one in, like, recent history yeah it's like the american chernobyl they say mm-hmm. and nothing really mm. you know but well, no. it, it exposes their hypocrisy it's like oh we want to take all your Go rights green. for the environment but here's a big thing and we don't actually care that yeah. much because it's uh, corporations that they didn't want to pay for we'll proper find, breaks yeah. for their trains we'll find them two percent of their net for this year <laughs> yeah so no nothing that i noticed it seemed very normal um, and it didn't seem like anyone there was too worried about it, which is almost even scarier because it's like, you know, it's kind of like the Flint thing. When did we quit talking about Flint, Michigan? Uh-huh. That water's still fucked up. People still drinking lead. Right. That's so crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I, but yeah, the vibe was still it was like, okay, everything is chill. Still I guess. Running. Don't drink the water, guys. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't nothing obvious where like people no. were coughing as they're walking down the street. No, nothing like, like that. Even. My manager, tour manager's parents live there. And okay. I asked them, like, you guys, any coughs or headaches? They're like, no. Okay, cool. Well, that's yeah. good to know because if people were, like, you know, dropping all around, that'd be very sad. Yeah, I'm sure, but time will tell. I mean, just like the vaccine thing. It's like, right. oh, let's it's see like what six months looks like. Right, long-term situation. Well, you and me actually met in Ohio at Pyro Festival. Yes, we did. Do you have any uh, reflections <laughs> on that cool little festival? Um yeah you know the fact that that festival even works is crazy to me joe is an absolute lunatic um, <laughs> I, um, he is in a good way yeah He's you a know big dreamer it um i wasn't always certain it was a good way and then at that festival i kind of saw him in a different light where i was like you know it's kind of cool that bud light isn't here and you know that there is like this is just some crazy old acid deadhead that manages to pull off this big party 
and it was like, man, this is kind of cool that guys like you still exist. Uh-huh. Because, like, as you saw, there's, like, the very professional festivals. Right. You know, and then there's Joe that's like, I don't really know, man. I. Uh, but it seems to work out. And the vibe is great. It is. And it's the people that make it, you know. There's, like, it's, like, con- this controlled chaos container that just manages to work. Um, yeah, no, uh, that pyro was really interesting. So I played solo. And I got there really early because I just had an early flight. So I got my rental car and there's not really much to do in Dayton or wherever the hell I fly, flew into. <laughs> so I ate and then was like, well, I guess I'll go to the festival. Um, and I got to the festival and I quickly forgot that I was there to play. <laughs> so I was like hanging out with people. Um, some old friends that I hadn't seen in forever were there. So we're like hanging out in the shade. And long story short, I took these mushrooms and then I really forgot that I was there to play. I was just <laughs> like, no, I'm just on mushrooms and hanging out with my friends. Uh-huh. And then this golf cart pulls up and was like, dude, you're supposed to be at the stage right now setting up. And I was like, for what? <laughs> and they're like, you have to play. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, okay. So I went and Tim Snyder, um, the dude that played, the played violin with me, helped me set up my stuff. Cause I like opened the case and was like looking at my pedals. And for the last year, I always have my sound guy with me that sets my stuff up for me. So I was like, I actually don't remember how this all works. Uh-huh. And Tim was like, I got it, dude. So Tim was really helpful and yeah. went and set up like the technical shit. And then I remember taking my guitar out and tuning it. And when I went to put it on the guitar stand, everyone started cheering and I like look, and then it dawned on me like, wow, that's thousands of people. And they're definitely piled in here to watch me play. Uh-huh. So I got really heavy really quick. And then I like told Tim, who was going to do one song with me, I was like, hey, could you just stay up there with me, man? He's uh-huh. like, yeah, okay. for sure. Nice. Um, and he's a violin player? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then once we started playing, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. Well, you, know? you did great. Good. Were you high up there? Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, oh wow. yeah. There was, must have felt so much energy. Yeah, there it, there was that, and then I also remember it just getting dark. Like, I don't remember it gradually getting dark. It just all of a sudden was dark. Like, uh-huh. I went from being able to see everyone to being able to see no one, and then I, like, had this moment where I was like, have I been up here for, like, three hours? Because mm-hmm. it wasn't dark when I got here. Right. It, you it, know, it I had lost you. all time. And then I looked over and the guy's like, one more song. And I was like, okay, thanks for the direction. Because I was like, have I been here 10 minutes? Have uh, I like, am I going over? Yeah, exactly. Or have I been up here and they're like sitting there like, what the fuck is this guy doing? You know? Right. Well, um, it was nice to meet you on Mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. When I met you, you said like, oh, yeah, I know you from Creation Skateboards yeah. back in the day. Yeah. So tell me about skateboarding. You, you used to skate. I you did. You still skate. I did. I haven't. Um, I haven't in the last few years. I um, yeah, skateboarding was like such a huge part of my identity growing up. So like, I started skateboarding in probably like sixth grade. Um, I was okay. For me, skateboarding was just about like we had a crew. You know, like when you skate, you have like a group of friends, and you don't really struggle with like, oh man, what are we gonna do today? It's mm-hmm. like, mm, we do the same shit we do every day. Like mm-hmm. We get on our skateboards and we go skate. And we had a really cool skate shop in Des Moines where I grew up called Subsect that was like this cultural hub, you know, and everyone trading, you know, everyone borrowing each other skate tapes all of the time. And for me, the biggest part of that 
was the music. You know, I was really into punk rock, and I found so much music through those skate tapes. Mm. Um, that was how I got really, like, there were people in my neighborhood that listened to hip-hop, and I was, like, super into Nas. Um, but so many of those skate tapes, you know, and then when Do you, you look... Do you remember any? Yeah, like, uh, Diggable Planets. Um, that was how I found out about Diggable Planets. Uh -huh. um, oh, my God, The Roots. That was how I found out about The Roots. Like, there was so much kind of below the radar hip hop um, that wasn't commercial at all. Right. Because you remember on the back of the VHS, it would say like the name of the skater, the song that was in there, right. you know, and then sometimes where most of the shit was filmed. What kind of brands were you into? Um, I kind of went in phases. Like when I first got into skateboarding, I was really into punk rock. So Zero was like uh -huh. the only decks I'll skate. Like I only wear Circos and ride Zero. Yeah. Um, and then as I started getting into hip hop, um, it was like Kareem Campbell was like super dope. So it was like super into Alien Workshop. Yeah. Um, and Alien Workshop too always had like the wild graphics. Uh -huh. You know, like they always Dom had really true. art. Yep. Very graphic, beautiful. Yep. He's, he's a legend. Yep. And then um, Girl, like as far as like my favorite deck, um, uh, God, what was the one with? Enjoy. Uh -huh. I had this... Uh, these enjoy decks man I, I bought the same skateboard like four times it just had such pop to it Ooh. and i was really into street skating more than anything and yeah um just did you ever make deck. a video part um little shitty ones you know of like 50 50 in rails this I tall i would love to see a sad sang fucking skate park as yeah. a throwback you should you know yeah know. maybe you just want to stick to music but yeah. i think it's just so cool to see your roots in another culture that's totally different yeah and then you know in my when i moved to chicago all my sister's friends were really into skating pools like they were all cement park uh -huh. guys and um you know so i was dabbling into that which was like a whole different kind of skating it right. wasn't about this like oh i have to land this trick it was like no man just being in the flow in the of flow. going and uh -huh. like what what year did you start skating it would have been two th no yeah, probably 98, 99, okay, somewhere nice. around there. That's when I got back to skating. Because I started in the 80s, like mid-80s, but it's all transition. And then 90s came, it's like, okay, now it's all street. Yep. So it's like, okay, I got to learn a whole brand new style of skating. Yeah, do you know Ryan Reyes? Did you meet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we're in that panel discussion. Yeah. Dude, I watch the stuff he does. To me, what's cool with skating is, yeah, like, Street skating was really huge, and that was all anyone I knew did. And then when I moved to Chicago, I didn't know any street skaters. Everybody just skated pools and cement parks, and that was it. We hung out at the Wilson Park, uh -huh. and you skated the pools. And then to see it now, like, I always say Ryan Reyes is, like, the parkour of skateboarding. Like, he finds the most creative, random, like, he posted some shit the other day where he kickflip tail slaps a boulder and then rides off on the dirt. He, or like impossible flips and lands on the wall and then like comes off of it. Yeah. Like, what the he fuck? He skates things that shouldn't be skated. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, he, it's almost like he brings the tranny vibes into the street vibes. Because street vibes are very like, like uh, you know, sharp angles. And yep. he wants to ride this shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very much. As if it does have a curb. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, just one of the most creative and just such a sweet sweet guy i'm gonna live in uh, me and my wife 
and son are gonna live in Orange County for two months next winter. Okay. And I'm so excited to just get to hang out with Ryan all the time. He's such a deep cat. We actually uh, sat in ceremony together. Oh, wow. Yeah. In, in Boulder? Um, out s somewhere in the middle of Col nowhere, Colorado. Yeah, it was yeah. out there. With unlimited signs. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, uh, that's the last time we saw each other in Denver, Colorado for an unlimited scientist event. Uh, you know, we had a panel discussion and we talked about medicines and then at night you played a concert and all I fainted and it was a really fun day with a lot of potent people. Yeah. Like a lot of fighters. Yep. Um, can you tell us what Unlimited Sciences is, a gist of it, and uh, you know what it does and how you got into it? Yeah, so I've always been a huge advocate of, of psychedelics, um, just because I, when I was young, it was the very like Hunter Thompson playful relationship. Um, but you know, I struggled with alcoholism for a long time, and. Um, you know, I would get sober for a few months and then fall off and it was this very white knuckled thing. And then I had a psilocybin experience that just like, just like turned it off. Um, and then actually that last, well, that last fall after nine years of sobriety, I relapsed again. It was, it was so weird, but um, Unlimited Sciences, um, I found out about them. I had always seen them in the periphery um, and knew about the Johns Hopkins study. So what they're doing is essentially, it's like a survey um, that's like, well, if you're going to eat mushrooms, can you fill out this survey? Um, and it's for Johns Hopkins, you know? So they've collected actual data, like which is what all of us who have been using psychedelics have been saying forever is like, no, I actually had a life-changing experience that helped me heal an addiction, that helped me heal a trauma, that helped me heal any number of things, right? And um, so they've collected that data and then since used that data to get laws changed, um, decriminalizing and you know legalization for um, for clinical use. Um, you know, my wife is a MAPS certified therapist. Oh no way! Yeah, so it's wow. like a huge part of our of our kind of family. You know, it really. What would is. you say is the difference between uh, unlimited sciences and MAPS? MAPS is huge now. It's being in documentaries. It gets yeah. a lot of funding and attention unlimited science seems to do its own thing in colorado yeah so unlimited science is kind of a like uh, the fishnet approach which is like you don't have to come here with a clinician and do three sessions and do this whole thing um it's just like here's this survey next time you do mushrooms mm -hmm. please take this survey and then there's like the follow-up surveys you know where maps how i got hip to maps you know my brother uh, we both have PTSD uh, from growing up, and then uh, he actually joined the army to get out of some legal trouble and went to Iraq in 2003 and was in the infantry. So he came home with severe PTSD. Wow. Um, so I had been, um, PTSD had always been a very interesting thing to me because I struggled with it myself, but you know, really watching my brother and was like, whoa, this is like fucking serious, you know? Right. So how I heard about MAPS was they were doing these MDMA studies where to even qualify, you had to have tried, I think it was three or more medications, you know, and multiple clinicians to help you work through your PTSD and had no success. Mm. Um, so what they were doing was doing, you know, working with a clinical psychiatrist or clinical therapist while under the influence of DMA, MDMA. 
and they had like over a 90% success rate in curing PTSD, not treating it, of people six months removed from their sessions what being- What percentage? Over 90. Wow. Yeah, dude, and not, again, not like, oh, we found this pill and people are reporting that it's like helping them get through their day. Uh-huh. People being like, yeah, no, since those sessions, like I'm fine, I'm not really struggling with PTSD at all. Wow. So, so, and beautiful. you think, so imagine, right, you have some trauma, something, that's haunting you, that's fucking with your day to day. And then you put MDMA in the mix and you have a professional be like, no, let's turn towards that and let's look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you're working through this thing rather than medicating this thing, you're working through and healing it. You're loving yourself in the vulnerability that you find yourself within. Yeah, so MAPS, um, the reason that they've blown up is because the fucking data spoke for itself you know it was like yeah this isn't a game this isn't like some kooky people feeding people drugs it's like they're actually healing people and and now they're doing the psilocybin studies with depression that are showing the exact same fucking results it's Uh like these are medicines these are actual medicines yeah and and what's what to me is what's really cool is there's like the shamanic approach of the ancient with these traditions that have been around forever that serve their own purpose but with everything we know about the human mind now and how it actually works, to have someone that is, you know, professionally studied human consciousness and how the brain holds trauma, where it goes, and knows how to get into it, and then, dude, you sp- you sprinkle these medicines in that process. It's like, you know, one session is the equivalent of like six years of therapy. So it's like, it- it's just such an exciting time to see, because because you know, could you imagine a world where uh, we weren't treating depression where it was like oh yeah we're gonna get you set up with this doctor and we're going to cure your depression and you know in the next few months you're gonna be fine Mm. (laughs) that's a beautiful world that's a beautiful world yeah it's really important work i'm super passionate about and and like i said me and my wife are you know um very much in in the works of trying to figure out um how to make that our family business Nice. So yeah. how do you get into unlimited sciences as opposed oh, yeah. to maps? Right. Your wife already works um, for Dell, um, Dell Del reached Jolly. out to me. I don't remember how Dell Jolly and I got connected. I really don't. Um, but we hung out and became best friends immediately. He's a sweet guy. He's a super sweet guy. We're both into jujitsu. We both hunt elk. Like we were both just like we're very similar dudes. We're into all the same things. And um, he, uh, I had come down to Denver to do a private, or not a private show, but like a limited capacity sit-down show during kind of the COVID restriction capacity thing. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with him and Rashad, and we completely broed out. And then um, I was getting ready to go to Texas to do more solo shows during the like limited capacity shit. And he invited me to ceremony. And this guy had reached out to me named Mo months in advance and was like, hey, we run this adaptive training facility for injured veterans. We listen to your music all the time. Would you please come do a workout with the guys? Mm. So I did, and then afterwards he takes me out to eat, and he goes, um, you know, I'm telling him about unlimited sciences, and he's like, yeah, I know Dell, and then I find out that he's also gonna be at that ceremony. I was like, what Mm. the fuck? You know, so send a picture to Dell. I was like, oh, that's wild. Then I'm in Austin uh, two days later hanging out with another friend of mine. It's like, oh, Rashad Evans is like one of my best friends. Are you gonna be at ceremony in May? I was like, <laughs> like all of these things kept happening. So it was really cosmic, you yeah. know, that we all got intertwined with each other. Nice, yeah, the synchronicities. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was invited to do ceremony around that last time, but I was just not in the mood. So yeah, it's good to like sit it out. It's yeah, like, I got. I was. Like I was offered um, to go sit in May. Me and my wife vote, and I just. No, I have some other work to do before I go in there. Some like ground to smooth out before I get in there. Right. It's uh, you know, there's times to go in there and and hit the mat. Yep. And there's time to also sit it out and be like, you know what? I'm still digesting the last time and yep. I need some time. You know, yeah. it's not like a competition of how many you How many achieve. can I sit? Yeah. Yeah, totally. But that event was beautiful. I love the the panel discussion we had. Yep. I'm not used to being surrounded by uh, fighters. Yeah, pretty chill dudes, most of them. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't even, like, su Sugar sh Sammy is Rashad, right? Uh, yeah, Sugar sh Sugar Rashad. Yeah. yeah, and then there was that other guy. Corey I, Sanhagen, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pretty he's, big, right? Yeah, he's about to win a title, I think, in the next couple years. Yeah, he's, I think he's ranked number three right now. And they do medicine. Yeah. He was interesting, because he, obviously, he has to keep this, um, I don't want to call it a mask, but like he's got to keep his armor of like I'm a fighter and I could fuck you up, <laughs> while like I'm also trying to break up my armor and be a, yeah. a children, a child of the light to serve with love. That's a, that's a tricky one. Once again, it's that path that almost you've taken as a musician, where like you're both like a very like grounded, uh, divine masculine that allows itself to have the sensitivities of what people would like correlate to the feminine. Yeah. I think that's why Rashad, again, like it's leading by example, you know, I think Rashad is so important for that. You know, Rashad used to be a bad, bad man. You oh, know? yeah? Yeah, he was the light heavyweight champion of the world and uh, had a swagger about him, you know, very like Ali vibes. Oh, uh, yeah. He was out, you know, <laughs> and now he is this soft, humble, gentle you know, so I think he's really showing a lot of these fighters, like, you can be both, man. Yeah. You know, like, you can be doing this self-work and stuff like that and still turn the killer on when it's time to hunt, you mm -hmm. know. That's beautiful. And thank you for sharing your, your, your experiences with medicine. Is it uh, mostly Aya or mushrooms or something else? Like, you got any reflections on particular medicine? Yeah, so I would say psilocybin is, is kind of my, my jam just because it actually makes me the most uncomfortable out of all of them. I thought yeah. Aya was, um, we danced pretty well together. It, it wasn't, uh, LSD has always been that way for me too. It's pretty easy for me. Uh -huh. um, it doesn't really make me uncomfortable. It like shows me all of the things. Um, Without the anxiety or- And psilocybin every time is this like cocoon, like, oh my God, like, am I actually living correctly? Like, holy shit, it really. That's interesting because people, when they say like, oh, let's eat some mushrooms and jump around and be happy kids. And that happens a lot, but that's- Not for me. That stopped happening for me. Like in college, it was that way. But after doing Aya, now mushroom opens up the portal for Aya and I think like mushrooms opens up and I was like, okay, I'm going to come and take over now. Mushrooms, thank you so much for opening up the portal. Yeah. I got to clean this motherfucker up as much as I can in this opening. I think a lot of it's maturity too, is as you get older, it becomes work. You're not doing it for fun. It's right. like, you know, it's work now. And I think there's like a thing in your head that's like, we're going to do work right now. This isn't, we're not, yeah, we're not going to eat mushrooms and go to a concert. The idea of that, that I used to do that all of the time, uh -huh. you know, the idea of eating mushrooms and going to a concert, I couldn't oh, even God, imagine yeah. that, dude. I would be out. I would be out. Right. You know? Yeah, I remember uh, going to uh, 
check out the Foo Fighters in the late 90s on Mushrooms and be like, oh my God, I would so not do that now. Yeah, no way. Uh, well, give thanks to plant medicine yes. and all the healings they bring into our lives. Um, let's touch a little bit about a situation that touches a lot of public people, cancel culture, which seems to be an episode that really has intensified in the last few years. It seems like every person who has a lot of um, following in a public way gets to go through this episode of scrutiny and judgment for not being perfect, yet we're all humans and we're all imperfect, yet our uh, story plots or whatever we're doing are presented onto everybody for them to fucking you know, either say that you're the best person in the world or a piece of shit. Have you gone through that as a public person? Um, a little bit. You know, like I, I touched on during the vaccine thing, that was rough. Um, but there was definitely, um, I had J.P. Sears, who's a good friend of mine. I had him on my podcast. And we really didn't even talk about anything controversial, you know. He does definitely, he has... I, I said the first, actually, in the first five minutes of the conversation, I said, you know, I don't agree with um, a good handful of your opinions, JP, but I just love your authenticity, and I, uh, I think you're a really great guy. Uh-huh. So it took me a couple days of the amount of hate that I was getting and screenshotting and really um, small people, you know, very physically and uh, emotionally weak people talking shit to me like well I just grew up like if you say some shit about someone you got to see them about it um so that was a really big struggle for me is like yo dude I will fucking smack the dog shit out of you and your five closest friends at the same time like it was such a wild thing and then um what what hit me about two days into that was realizing like oh you didn't not only did you not listen to the podcast you didn't listen to the first two minutes like I literally introed the podcast saying I don't agree with a lot of what you say uh-huh. um, but I love you and I think we would have a cool conversation so let's get into it right um, or somehow they just didn't hear that part yeah I just don't think they listened at all and I think it's such a I think that there's weak um, you know I always I always say losers talk shit winners do shit and there's a lot of people out there not doing shit. So they see JP's picture and they go, I've always kind of had a thing where I just didn't really like Drew anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you were in some band that you started at the same time as me and I'm off doing my thing and you're still working at a fucking pizza joint, which was the case for one dude that was especially loud. Um, and people that I actually thought were friends of mine completely flip and join in on this shit that I hit up personally like yo bro you do know you're gonna see me again and here's the screenshot of everything you said um well, what a blessing that they expose themselves yes exactly and out the bullshit yeah and that was actually that's what I was just gonna say was like really it made me realize like this whole fandom thing can turn on you at any minute so I put no spiritual coin into into adoration whatsoever because again like I said these people don't know me um so yeah it was like a thing for a steady week that the festival community was like fuck satsung and this thing just kind of was happening and I just kind of had to sit there and watch it and then sure as shit you know 
I'm sure, I'm sure somebody fucking wore hoop earrings or something, something else they could be outraged about, and then the internet mob that isn't doing shit, that just talks shit, was like, okay, here's our new, yeah, yeah. here's our new village to pillage, or you know? Or persons who feed off their energy. Yeah. Because they're hungry ghosts. Yep. Looking for energy without building it up themselves. Yeah. And they see somebody who's opened up a little vulnerability from their perspective, and they go and they eat. Yeah, you know what else was really cool to see um, was the first day I was responding to shit and trying to defend myself and like, no, it's not that. And if you would have listened, I said this, this and this. And then they would double down like all they wanted was to like when they were like, oh, shit, sad song saw what I wrote. Now we're in. You're right. You know, there's more. He gave me some more energy that I was exactly. Yeah, they're they're farmers. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Energy farmers. So once. After the first day, I f realized pretty quickly what this game was. And I was like, well, if I don't engage with this game, it's going to go away because I didn't do anything wrong. It's not like... Having I a conversation with someone should not be a crime. Exactly. <laughs> and that was what I kept telling myself because for a while you're sitting there being like, fuck, did I... Like, oh, should I have talked to him? It's like, no, you're allowed to talk to whoever you want to fucking talk to. Yeah. Dude. You didn't rape somebody. No. You know, you d yeah, you're not stealing money. You're not doing some crazy thing, dude. You talked to a guy. That's a friend of yours, you know, so yeah, it was a process, but yeah, I realized after like day one it still hurts um, You know, it still hurt because the big thing like I said was was people that I considered friends of me and friends of the band mm -hmm. and finding out like oh no you're not at all yeah. you pretended to be friends you pretended to be friends popular yes, and maybe I could give you something right you know like there was one guy in particular um, there was a band. I'm gonna fucking say it. Fuck you, dude. How about them apples? Um, <laughs> there was a band called Dead Larry, okay. and this dude named Joe that played bass in that band and was kind of like the uh, the anyway. And we had always had a good relationship. Anytime we were in Minneapolis, we hung out. And when he started this side project, I put him on like three sold-out shows. And our last interaction was at one of those sold-out shows. Like, bro, can I get a picture with you? And he was always kind of keeping these tabs because um, I thought we were friends. And I was like, yeah, I don't particularly like your music. It's actually not great, but you're a sweet guy and you've always been sweet to me. So like, right. yeah, if we're in your area, you can open up. Yeah. And him and all of these cats turned on me and I actually sent him a message that wasn't mean or aggressive. It was all I just straight up said like, yo, man, this really breaks my heart because yeah. I we were friends. I was under the assumption that you and I were good friends. Yeah. And now I see that we're not. And his response was, I will never forget, man. He said, yeah, it's just crazy right now. You know, like people in my friend groups are like being ostracized for listening to, to Michael Jackson. And now we're not allowed to talk to this kid because uh, he was trying to defend James Brown's music. And I was just like, dude, your friend group sounds like they fucking suck. <laughs> like, you're not friends with someone because they like James Brown? Like, yeah. I don't have to like James Brown the person, but that yeah. is some of the dopest music that's ever come out. And it's like, that's what we're doing now? We're just like, oh, you like James Brown? Okay, well, you can't hang out with us anymore. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're well, part... Jimi Hendrix did some bad things. And then Everybody did. We're human creatures, right. dude. Right. Like, we all do something, quote, unquote, bad in our learning process to not be bad. Yes. And to be canceled and cut down and be like, okay, you're not allowed to continue sharing the channelings from the most high because we deem you bad. Yeah, especially when people aren't factoring in things like drug or alcohol addiction. 
which is a fucking disease. And it's like, oh, yeah, so James Brown is an alcoholic that smoking crack and PCP did some unfavorable things. That's crazy. I don't know anyone that's been hammered drunk smoking crack that's done bad things. (laughs) You know, it's like, fuck, man. What if this, you know, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And it's pointless because it's like where that road goes of the the cancel thing like where that goes is like we were saying earlier it is a palletless world because we will keep finding new things to be outraged about and we will keep chopping you know we will keep chopping shit down until there's nothing left like what is art when it's policed it gets Mm. pretty shitty pretty quick dude right like i don't mind bringing something to attention it's like hey you, you're doing something bad let's let's stop that but it has to have that ingredient of compassion yeah but you're still a human being and we're not going to destroy your life and make it even more difficult for you to become a higher yes. being we're going to we're, assist you we're going to hold space for you with fucking mad compassion because you're obviously suffering if you have to steal energy in weird ways and uh, and then hopefully you can be as good as us. Well, not, yeah. None of us are fucking perfect. Yeah. Um, I appreciate like when I got canceled a couple of years ago. What did you get canceled for? Oh, it's a long story. I don't want to get into it because it's okay. so complicated. It would take me like t- 20 minutes to to explain. But it was like the actions of somebody else and my relationship to it. Yeah. And um, that's where fake friends expose themselves. Yeah. And that was almost as hard as. Uh, discovering that my mentor was doing shady things in the background and as soon as I find out then everybody else finds out and I'm like trying to deal with it in a clumsy way and then people are judging me for my clumsiness about it and everything and you know it helped me weed out friends who are not friends but also like okay how can I have compassion for them too okay yeah they joined the gang but uh, to like attack me at a time where I was vulnerable and show that they didn't really like me. But when I see them again, do I gotta be like, fuck you, bitch. Like I, you know, you, you've exposed yourself or can I be like, you're also God having a human experience. I love you too. It's, it's really difficult sometimes. It is, you know? yeah. Because we, we get hurt, you know, and hurt people hurt people. Always. Um, but that's my own personal conversation and journey to becoming my higher self who's like, hey, they hurt you because they probably got hurt somewhere else and that was their opening to get the energy they needed. Yeah. I don't know. What's your opinion on knuckle bears? Because I was speaking with Joe recently, uh, Joe from PyroFest, he calls me up being like, I'm thinking of getting Knuckle back on Pyro. I wish you would. But people are going to hate on me for it. No, there'll be like eight people that are really, really loud that will hate on him. Like, do people deserve redemption? Like, sure, people make mistakes. And sure, people can be brought to, um, that word, uh, you know. To court, as it were. Yeah, sure. But it's... um, it's not the responsibility of a, imagine if any time you broke a law like you didn't go through you know a scheduled legal system that you were like i don't know dude let's get a thousand people together and see what they want to do with you <laughs> yeah random people from the internet who don't know you and uh, who have their own issues it's like oh let's just destroy them and never again they're allowed to share the medicine from the most high that pours through them along with their critters but if the critters were exposed and that hurt them enough and they 
done some work to like you know cleanse that out can are they allowed to bring back the good side you know i think with nako nako and i were never extremely close i would definitely say we were friends but the nature of the work same thing like with trev it's like the nature of our business we're always in different places it's it's at the same time you know it's very rare that we get across paths but um you know i think the thing that was interesting with nako and i'm not trying to devalue anybody's story or whatever but in the time that i spent with him i um if anything i witnessed a lot of female attention being very concentrated on him and him kind of struggling to like i don't even you know like what do i do i'm just trying to sit here and have a conversation with my friend and there's seven females damn near attacking me you know um and I think also, I will say, I've never seen anything even in the slightest iota of predatory behavior. Um, but I think it was, uh, you know, I listened to his new record actually recently again. Um, oh. And it was a trip because prior to that even happening, he was doing the work. And it's so evident in his last record, Take Your Power Back, he was going through the process of doing that work. And the canceling thing kind of just fucking... Multiplied it by 10. Yeah, and it was like, man, he was doing it, but maybe it was it, it was good and it forced him to do it even, even more and faster. But do, but do I think Nako should come to Pyro? Yeah. Um, I think... Should Nako in general be allowed yes, to perform? Yes, and here's why I think so, because... Like, you see people like, oh, you know, yeah, we'll say that when your daughter's coming to the festival. It's like, you think Nako's going to fucking come? He's a, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nako's going to come fucking attack you. No, he's going to come to the festival. He's going to fucking play his songs, and he's going to leave. Like, mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, that I'm like, I'm a big idea of the open thought economy. So, like, what I say is if Joe is feeling the pull to bring Nako there, it's like, cool. Well, if that aligns with you and you want to hear Nako play, then you should come listen to him. If you don't, and you say, I don't want to come to Pyro anymore, cool, then don't come. Yeah. You know, and... Don't attack the, the organizer. Yeah. The and what he's supporting or any of that. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it will be interesting because I think if Nako went on tour today, you know, like when they, they announced this tour, I remember we were playing Red Rocks and they had announced this tour and it was the first tour they had announced after all this shit happened. And then it got canceled within 24 hours because these promoters were just being reamed. But I remember looking at the event pages and it was the same five people Mm. in each event page. It wasn't people from that area being like this. It was the Uh, same five people going in there and being super loud. Um, You know, at the end of the day, Naka will have to answer for whatever he has or hasn't done legally, spiritually. Karma's karma. Karma is fucking karma. And, um, yeah, I just think, again, like I said, if you don't want to, like, it, that's to me what's so crazy with cancel culture is like, I hear people say shit, I see people do shit all of the time that I disagree with. And you know what I do? I quit fucking paying attention to them. You know, like the thing I go back to all the time, do you remember Richard Spencer? So he was like the voice of the alt-right. Now, this guy got really famous really fast because anytime he was going somewhere to do a lecture, the mob would show up to try to cancel his fucking speech. You know what happened when he started giving speeches? He Become fucking insane, disappeared. Right? Because what? everyone was like, this guy's a fucking idiot. It's like, yeah, man, let him talk. 
oh wow your ideas are terrible okay yeah. well fuck this guy then yeah. you know it's like the spectacle is the mob like so it's like man just let people like bad ideas will suss them out they empowered him if anything Ex that's exactly what they did you know now i i i, I wonder if somebody like Nako, who I imagine works with the medicine, mm -hmm. is calling in a big fucking ego-destroying event like a cancel culture thing that he probably brought upon himself on, you know, the mistakes he might have made on his normal life because we're all humans and sometimes we get drunk and we do stupid shit and do deserve our life to be destroyed or not. That's not up to me, but sometimes you work with the man says like I want to be better I want to be better I want to be better you go into the heart of all creation it's like please liberate me and it's like okay I'm gonna liberate you by destroying what is not you let's destroy fucking knuckle bear and let's see what's left and let's see the fucking flower that comes out of the mud once again that I think his time will medicine. come yeah I think that's dead on dude and I think his time will come whether it's this year or five years from now he's too potent man and you know we've had our our back and forths you know we were trying to get in touch with each other this fall we actually butted heads really hard and then he like so we've been trying to reconnect and um his gift is undeniable like what he what he brings is undeniable you know i come back to this memory all of the time there was a time where i would say i was like was watching nako blow up while my career was just kind of starting and I was like envious of just like, how the fuck, man? Because he was just doubling mm -hmm. in size everywhere he went, you know? But I remember he came to Shangri-La solo. And I remember going and standing by the soundboard like, all right, motherfucker, move me. Uh-huh. And like two songs in, I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, like, he's something, man. He's something. And I think it's... Um, it's just crazy culturally too, right? If he was a rapper, this wouldn't be a conversation. If Why? he was, because the culture is like, oh, what? He was cheating on his girl and was sleeping with a bunch of chicks and, oh, okay. you know, wasn't clear about what relationship status he was in. Like, oh, yeah, man, there's a lot of songs about that, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's you know cool. What I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because player's going to play. But he's trying to rep the good side. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people who've been trying to rep positivity and the good, good side. The, the people who want to see a good world come harder on us because we're actually trying our best to figure it out and make mistakes along yeah, the way. Yeah, I would say too, as a songwriter, I'm not always writing, and I know he's not always writing from the like, this is what I am. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's like, this is what I know to be true and what I know to be the way. I'm not saying I have it down, I'm not saying I have it dialed, I'm not saying this is how I live, I'm saying that I know in my heart this is the way. So maybe if I sing these affirmations enough and I, like a mantra, right? If I sing these affirmations enough, they will transmute my life into this goodness. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's the thing a lot of people lose with art, with music art, is it's like, oh, well, he's singing these songs, so he's clearly fucking perfect. Mm. It's like, no, dude, he's a guy, you know? He's a guy. He's a, perf he's a person. Perfect, yeah. yeah. He's human. a fucking soul in a meat suit in a crazy world. So, Drew. You seem to have a pretty ideal, beautiful life. You got a wife, you got dude. children, you're healthy, you're a badass dude with great music, a great fighter. What's your build? 
What's my what? Belt. You got your jiu Oh, I'm, belt. I'm about to get my brown belt. I was going to get it in California, but my wife wants to be there when I get my brown belt. So oh, wow. That's I'm, very supportive. Yeah, yeah. So sometime in the next couple months, I would imagine, what my, co my coach won't tell me. It's sitting on his desk, and he points to it all the time. So he's just fucking with me at this point. But Tell me a little bit more about this whole fighting situation, because I, I, I can see fighting. It's like a meditation. It's a discipline. It's a kind of art, like skateboarding would yes. be. Um, if anything, I would wonder if you got to be a better skater now that you do jiu-jitsu, or maybe that's not that kind of balance. Fighting, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, what has it brought into your life, and what's the importance of a of a practice like that for you to become the master of yourself? Um, I think the biggest thing, you know, I come back to this story all of the time. I think it's just like the perfect jiu-jitsu metaphor. When I was a white belt, I had just started. You know, I was in the first couple months of training. My coach was on my back, and he took my gi and flipped it over my face. And I was, like, shaking and freaking out. And he says into my ear, calm down. You can breathe. Take a breath. And then I was like, oh, shit, I can breathe. And then he let go of me and was like, man, so many times we think we can't breathe. You can breathe. Like, don't you don't need to listen to your mind right away. Mm -hmm. And... You know, jujitsu is this high level problem solving. It's happening really fast, you know, it's happening really, really fast. And it seems chaotic, but as you improve, it starts to become less chaotic. And then it actually becomes this very slowed down game that's just happening fast. And um, it's, A, it's the meditation of it. When I'm doing uh, boxing or Muay Thai or jujitsu, I'm not thinking about anything else but what I'm doing. So it is like a meditation for me, but mm -hmm. it, where it's really changed my life is the way I approach problems and my emotions. You know, I used to be so quick to like, well, I'm feeling this emotion and here's the action that goes with that emotion. And um, fighting really taught me to pause. Mm. Like, oh, I can breathe. There actually is no fire. This doesn't actually warrant a reaction. What mm. it requires, well, you know, the action is stay calm and let's, let's unravel, you know, let's unravel this web and, mm -hmm. and, and fix the puzzle. Um, so for me, that's what it is, is it's this like problem solving under stress where like mm. it's, it trains your stress response to kind of go away, you know, like that mm. fight or flight thing that triggers in us, it, there's levels to it, you know, like if someone hits you in the face, that's one level, you know, another level is like my friend just said something that made me really angry. So it's like, that's fight or flight too. It's like, should I leave this situation because it's awkward or should I be like, no, fuck you, dude, mm. where it's like jujitsu over time kind of just makes you be like oh he's probably just on his own journey right now mm. I'm gonna, that's fine i'm not right. gonna give you anything because it doesn't warrant a reaction i'm not leaving either though huh. you know so would you even say uh perhaps jujitsu it's a chance to put yourself in a anxious high anxiety situation so you can conquer the anxiety that then you can conquer in other parts of your life? 100%. And now it's not even an anxious activity. Now I'm good enough that it's like fun, mm -hmm. you know? And as you get better and are training with better people, it's less of this like, oh, who's going to win? Who's going to win? And it becomes this like beautiful dance of like, mm -hmm. how cleverly can we catch each other? Mm -hmm. Rather than like, mm -hmm. how violently can I get you? You know? Right, it's like, right. And then boxing, you know, boxing and, and, and the striking is the same thing it's when you start it's such a skittish thing you're so scared to get hit 
and then you get used to getting hit and you're like oh it's actually not that bad at all as, as weird as that sounds like getting hit in the face really isn't that rough like mm -hmm. compared to falling on your skateboard and getting a giant fucking dude getting punched in the face is a fucking cakewalk really yeah dude yeah without, yeah. without gloves that hurts <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, do you ever get punched in the face without gloves no no we always have gloves on okay cool um but <laughs> same thing it's like okay this seems really crazy right we're trying to punch each other and kick each other a if you're doing it at controlled 50 percent you know we're not trying to kill each other um and it starts to become a game right it's just like oh no we're playing this game and i'm not like when you can get to like no my heart rate's not going up i'm not nervous we're just playing this game oh shit you got me good job okay uh, let's see if i can get you yeah you know it's this there's no um anger or hatred no. or true negative emotion not fire at all to really destroy that motherfucker no for me it's super playful you. it's almost like that little kid playfulness of just like oh man okay we're about to play this game together you know uh -huh. like yeah, nice. it's super, super fun. Sometimes it could get turned up in the gym where uh -huh. you like you and your buddy or you start playing and then the play actually turns into a fight. But <laughs> but no, it's just super fun. Um, I really love it. And I love what it brings out of people. You really get to see who someone is in the gym, uh -huh. you know, and jujitsu is so hard. The thing I guess I also really love about it to stay with jujitsu. You have to be really humble because you're going to suck for a really long time and then you hit these places where you think you're getting good like I just said yeah I'm pretty good and then I was just like in you know then I roll with my coach and I go fuck I'm not good at all you. it humbles you mm -hmm. and there's so many levels to it mm -hmm. it just keeps humbling you you know um, mm -hmm. so there's no like mastery to it and, and much like art there's no end goal like you're never gonna make the painting and like, well, I'm done. I'm yeah. now a master of the I, brush. I did the best painting I, ever. I'm and done, uh -huh. and this is the pinnacle. Same thing. I'm never gonna write a song where I'm like, well, that's it. I mastered songwriting, and now I'm done with it. But could you maybe make a song that is so popular that becomes the new John Lennon Imagine that becomes <laughs> a legendary song forever? And you could do other songs after, but like, but I did the, the Imagine song. I think so. that's probably like what it feels like to win a world title. You're like, well, I'm still gonna keep training, but like, that's probably as good as it gets. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. I feel like I've done some paintings that's like, well, I did that painting that forever will be legendary, and now I can do other paintings Anything that, that you people want. are better, but that one touch people, and I don't even understand why. I would love to have a hit song just for that reason of being like. I beat my last hit song. Yeah. Like, say, like, I Am might be your biggest song. It is. But that's from, like, a few years back. Yep. And you feel like you get better at music. I'm so much, I'm such a better songwriter than I was when I made I Am. Yeah, that's what's interesting. And it's like, I think, um, you know, when you get a hit, like, we see it with bands all the time, right? Like, a band blows up, and then their next record, everyone's like, dude, that band got weird. And it's like, yeah, because they don't need you anymore. You know, uh -huh. they like cash their thing out and now they're in the deep depths of exploring what it means for them to be an artist. Uh -huh. So that's why you'll see that like after a band has a really big record and then everyone's like, their new record was weird as fuck. And it's like, yeah, dude, because now they got money and they don't give a fuck anymore. Right. You know, like, where do you feel you are in that stage? Are you in that stage where you can get weird as fuck if you wanted to? Or do you still want to catch that next big song that will touch people it's not even out the hit yeah that will touch people so deep that you beat yourself yeah from 2017 or i don't something. i try not to think about any of it i try to just create and just trust that like whatever's gonna yeah. land is what's gonna land and whatever um 
whatever's supposed to happen on my path as a musician is just what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's predetermined. All I have to do is keep showing up. Um, so there's no goals? Um, yeah, I have goals. I would like to, you know, like selling out Red Rocks is a big goal of mine. Um, you know, get, even getting to a place where we're doing 2,000 tickets tonight, you know, like it. Yeah, there's always goals. But what's interesting about our industry is I have friends that sell 2,000 tickets tonight that have sold out Red Rocks. And then they're going, yeah, man, well, I wish we were playing arenas. Uh, you know, never it never any, ends. Never no, and that's like I'm saying, that's yeah. what jujitsu is too. It's like, you don't get your black belt and you're like, okay, well, I'm done then. Oh, yeah? I did it. No, you, go, you do it for life. It's a lifestyle and like, and music's the same way. So it's like, no matter what happens in my career, I'm never gonna not be making songs. You know, and I would you like always want to beat yourself. Yeah. Whatever the last highlight was, you still want to one up yourself. Yeah. And what's cool about it is if we're living right, we should keep getting wiser and deeper and better at our craft. So in theory, it, it should keep growing because you're going to be making better art by proxy if you're trying. Mm -hmm. It's like there's no way your art's going to get worse as you get smarter and deeper and have more wisdom. What would be the maximum goal? of your art, of your music? Man, what, what would be that achievement? Like selling out Red Rocks or melting a person into pure light by the yeah. feeling that they had? It happened last night, dude. <laughs> There's a gang of them just sitting there melting. Um, no, you know, for me to have a song that was really deep and meaningful, to have a song like I Am, you know, something that facilitated healing where like the, the the point of the song was was healing and to see a song like that go global super hit would be really cool you know to not have a, a breakup song or a fucking song about drinking at the club be a mega hit but, but to have a song that was like about deep healing and acceptance of self you know really that would be the drive obviously money is a cool byproduct of having a, a big hit song but for me Um, you know, I had this whole batch of songs that I had written after my relapse and I, I just made a decision a couple weeks ago to never release them because I'm like, nah, man, there's an energy and a, and a, there's a bar that I've set for myself of what I want to share with people and they don't need any more sad songs. They don't, uh -huh. you know, I Interesting. want, I so you wrote a bunch of songs that were about your dark side yeah. that you chose not to share because you felt that would spread the darkness that you were going through? No, A, I don't want to live in those songs. Mm -hmm. So if I record them and release them, then I have to keep playing them and right. I don't want to. Um, okay. And yeah, they're just from a place that I don't want to pull from. You know, I'm trying to pull from, from up there, not this like super mess in here that's like struggling with my, you know, I want to pull from the, but, from the but light. But to show your, your low parts, does that bring like a resonance or an understanding to somebody who's also going through their yeah life, and i do right a lot of people i want i i just like i did i, I have this song morning light that i'm going to record when i get home that's about the dark and like mm -hmm. acceptance of pain mm -hmm. you know in the process of moving through it and i'm all about that but when i play that song it makes me weep like the good way of like, oh my God, it's okay. Humaning is hard, but we're gonna be fine. <laughs> you know, rather than like, man, this song makes me kind of just want to like drink and be sad, yeah, you yeah. know? And I hope you don't mind that no, I'm drinking today. No, not at all. Today. I'm, I'm, I'm a musician, dude. People drink around me every day. Right, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know that no, you no. had that relationship with alcohol and I was like, I'm gonna bring him beer. You know, what's really interesting too is um, for him. <laughs> my guitar player, 
um, has smoked pot every day since he was like 15, and he just quit smoking weed like three months ago. Mm -hmm. This is his first tour ever not smoking weed. Mm -hmm. It's really crazy. I mean, he's a delight. He's like the same dude. Yeah. But it's still, I just keep thinking like it must be, because I have the same thing every day. Does he struggle when other people smoke weed around no, him? No, and that was the thing last night. I was like smoking. We were sitting there talking. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. And he's like, no, it's cool. Yeah. Because once um, you get into that. He said actually the only time that he's been like, ooh, was during our set yesterday. We got a big waft of smoke across the stage. And he was like, during that, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to smoke when we get done. This is a fun one. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What's your relationship with weed? It's pretty sporadic, dude. I probably smoke about as much as, like, a middle-aged mom that smokes. Like, um, I would never, like, oh, I'm going to smoke a joint. Like, I have my little hitter box and my vape pen, and I would say when I'm touring, I maybe hit it once or twice a day. Um, when I'm home and training all the time, I smoke a little more. But, yeah, it's, like, one training, hit. Training, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Just to fight? Yeah. You want to get all mellowed out? Yes. So you can flow yes. and break somebody's neck? Yes, nice yes. <laughs> um, but when, um, yeah, when I'm home, I have, like, a, I take one hit at this time. I take one hit at this time, one hit at this time. So it's like that. You know, I don't like being too high. Um, but yeah, I do yeah. love the feeling of, like, just that little bit, you know. The thing that you explained with jujitsu and anxiety is how I feel when I get high. Because I'll get high and I'll get so high that it's almost like, ugh, I'm feeling anxiety right now. But let's see how centered I can be. And move through it. And move through it and not cop out. Because my copping out would go to do rapé. Rapé brings yep. me down, grounds me. It's like, and it's like, okay, I tap out. But it's like, no, 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 you smoked. Go through it. Yeah, you're deal. like experiencing a lot right now. It's intense, but what will happen when uh, the apocalypse comes and people are at your door wanting to get your things because it, it will everything's a shit show? Can you be calm and work through it in the same way that I'm asking you to do it right now? So this is practice yeah. to be calm through anxiety. Yes, anxiety is there, but I'm still centered and I can work through it. So I, I, you know, I guess that's me getting yeah. on the mat. Uh, yeah, we'll get just getting mode. used to hard things because hard things are coming, whether we want them or not. You know, every day we're gonna yeah. have to deal with unfavorable things that make us uncomfortable. And I hope there's not a big apocalyptic thing that happens that brings it all against each other. I don't other. think it will. I think no? we all care too much. Do you are optimistic? I am optimistic. Future? Yeah, yeah. I think we'll. Um, yeah, we all want to be here. We all want to be here. We all want this thing to work. So it's like, as fuckered as it gets sometimes, like it, we'll, we will continue to make it work. And um, because everybody is voting with their desire, with the vibration, they're trying to convince us that uh, some kind of apocalyptic thing is inevitable. But if we knew how great humanity is and what our ultimate. Uh, uh, essence is we could create heaven on earth knowing that we are God experiencing the physical plane through all of us yeah and I think too it's like I just don't think even the powers that be you know they have a vested interest in this thing to keep going so they're not gonna let it crash yeah I don't they seem like totally insane to me so I, I cannot try to uh, understand what their intentions are yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't try to either but I think we I think there's so much you know and you're catching me on a good day I feel good today so I'll say that I'm, I'm optimistic today but I think people in their hearts are genuinely good intentioned and love and want to be here 
I think so too. Yeah. Like everybody just loves people their forget. Family, people their forget. Families. That's it. Life just makes us forget. You know, life mm-hmm. makes us forget, and then we see a baby giggle, or we have these little things that remind us that it's beautiful. There's so many beautiful things in this world, and sure, we can all just like microscope focus on the negative, but really, there's mostly good. Yeah, and, man, and it's can, a pretty rad ride. Yeah, we yeah. can keep on expanding the good. Yeah. And bring it hopefully on to others if we can. Um, but yeah, uh, we're getting to the end of our show. Would you have some final words of wisdom or anything to the people who might be watching this? Like, um, you know, some recommendation in life or anything. Yes. Because you've had many uh, on, this, on this conversation already. But Yeah, I would say remember that you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And what is the world that you want to live in until then? Because it might happen tomorrow. If you're lucky, you'll get a lot of time before that happens. But it, you might not. So what do you want to do today? Mm-hmm. Live today as if it was the last day of your life. Yeah. Yeah, and cultivate beauty. You know, for me, I always start with before I'm going to get pissed about something. Is this going to matter in an hour? Yes. Okay. Is it going to matter in a week? No. Okay. Cool. Then it ends here. You know, Mm -hmm. and start there. And then if if it really seems that intense, is it going to matter when I'm on my deathbed? No. Okay. Well, let it go then. Yeah. And what are you holding on to? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. I'm so glad we got to get up. Yeah. And thank you guys for watching another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. And uh, make sure to like, comment, share, etc. Subscribe. I love you. And I'll see you next time. Next episode, Michael Ian Cohen. When you're living a life that is not satisfying because you feel like you're not where you want to be, whether you think that's because you're not making enough money or you're not in the profession that you want to be in or you're not at the level you want to be at in a given profession, whatever it is, when you feel like you're not satisfied with your life, it is really hard for a person like that to care about the lives of others. And even if they do, it's hard for them and less likely for them to actually take action to impact the lives of others in a positive way. It'll always be once I get my shit figured out, you know, then I'll help others. And so by helping people live a more fearless and fulfilling life uh, where they have more contentment uh, and I'm, I'm, you know it's it's more likely that those people will be in a position to want to and actually take action to impact the lives of the people around them whether it's in their family and friends their community their state their, their country globally and so there's a tremendous ripple effect in helping people not live fear-based lives so please make sure to subscribe like comment and share Big thanks and see you next episode. Peace.